Hello and welcome to Pulp Dreams, the 1990s pop culture podcast, aiming to bring you the best and worst of 90s pop culture. Welcome to episode two of Pulp Dreams. This week we are delving back into the depths of Keanu Reeves' film career. Before John Wick, before The Matrix and even before Speed, young Keanu honed his action chops in the utterly fantastic Point Break, released in 1991. Very often you can tell a great action movie by how few words its plot can be explained in. An off-duty cop, some terrorists and a Los Angeles high-rise. Die Hard. Two cops, one crazy, one conservative. Lethal weapon. A commando in the jungle with an alien. Predator. This truism holds for point break. A gang of bank-robbing surfers, known as the ex-presidents, and an FBI agent out to stop them. As ludicrous as this plot may seem on paper, it holds up surprisingly well on screen, even nearly 30 years after its release. One of the biggest box office hits of 1991, Point Break is centred on the former college quarterback and now fresh out of the FBI Academy, Johnny Utah, ably played with wooden aplomb by the aforementioned Mr. Reeves. As an aside, what a magnificent character named Johnny Utah is. It's like one of those childish games where you combine the place you were born with your first pet's name. In this case, it does feel reminiscent of former NFL greats such as Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana, perhaps deliberately so. As we meet Utah, he is starting his first day as an FBI agent, newly assigned to the Los Angeles field office, which we are informed is the bank robbery capital of the United States. There is some excellent character work on show from John McGinley as Utah's hard-ass boss, Harp. Their opening scene is a particular treat. Also excellent is Utah's new partner, played by Gary Boothie, in arguably a career-best performance. He plays an aging and out-of-step Angelo Pappas. The pair are soon off to a fine partnership in classic Hollywood style. Pappas has a theory about a gang of bank robbers called the ex-presidents who have been targeting Los Angeles banks for a number of years. He believes they are surfers. The reasons why he believes they are surfers is explained through some hilariously rubbish pseudoscience which will leave you to enjoy in your own time. Before long, the pair set out to infiltrate the subculture of Southern Californian surfers and we are introduced to orphan surfer Tyler, played by Larry Petty, who becomes Utah's in to the surfing scene and of course the love interest. We also meet her former lover Bodhi, a surfing guru and spiritualist played by the late great Patrick Swayze. It's an entertaining yarn with a number of excellent action set pieces. Sometimes of course that's all you need. The first thing that strikes you is the authenticity of the surfing scenes and how they are filmed. The film is shot in the Super 35 format and the use of 35mm cameras enables the camera to be right in close on the action and leads to some spectacular shots of wave riding. Interestingly, Super 35 was also used for films such as Top Gun as it enabled cameras to be placed in the cockpit. It was also at one time the preferred format of James Cameron, who was of course married to director Catherine Bigelow at the time and reportedly contributed uncredited work to the final script for Point Break. Point Break is actually quite a beautiful film. The sun, Southern California locales and the bright neon colours of early 90s fashion combine to a number of pleasing shots. The California of Point Break is permanently cast in a late summer haze. It is a place you'd like to visit. 
but then it's not idealized. It's the California four-lane highways of endless strip malls and tracked housing running into each other. This is encapsulated in what is, I think, the highlight of the movie, a frenetic foot chase at the film's climax. The camera follows a pair through the alleyways and row houses. A thrilling scene, Bigelow pioneers the use of a stripped-down, handheld 35mm camera, which allows the camera operator to follow over the shoulder of the two participants, cop and rubber, and gives a great sense of the breakneck speed of the foot chase. All in all, then, Point Break is a classic action movie, of the kind that just isn't made anymore. At least not really made by Hollywood Studios. Action Pictures' true home these days is the direct-to-DVD market, or the nether regions of your Netflix account, with the likes of Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and various muscle-bound ex-UFC fighters reside. Inarguably, the heyday of the action picture was the 1980s, and effectively all those studio dollars are now lavished on the superhero genre, with endless Marvel and DC comic heroes brought to the big screen in the last decade. This is an interesting development if you consider that cinema is a reflection of society itself. Where once action pictures brought a focus on realism, of cops and robbers and war, we now have a generation who grow up with the infantilized world of superheroes, where every problem can be solved with a new superpower. It's telling, I think, that Point Break was recently the subject of a risable remake of Little Value that was largely ignored by a new generation of cinema goers. Sometimes the original is really still the best. Point Break was a key film in the, in the development of Catherine Bigelow as a filmmaker. She would go, go on to make inarguably her best picture, and perhaps the best war film to come out of the Second Gulf War, The Hurt Locker. She became, shockingly, the first woman to win the Best Director Oscar in 2010. Similarly to Point Break, this film also makes use of handheld cameras to capture the action close at hand. Keanu Reeves has had a career of ups and downs, but is still today a major action star with a number of classic films to his name, including Point Break, of course. Patrick Swayze never again reached the level of fame he had during his late 80s, early 90s peak, and despite a number of prime performances in his later career, a personal favourite of my own being Donnie Darko, he sadly passed away in 2009, aged 57. A key element of cinema is time and place, that a movie has a keen sense of its own time and place. If cinema is to have any true meaning to you, it has to transport you back to a particular time and place, but in terms of the events on screen, but also in terms of your own unique memories of the film. If you think the films that you remember from your childhood, you probably remember where you were when you first saw them, what cinema were you in, who you were with, and perhaps what time of the year it was. As an example, when I was 7 years old, in the summer of 1993, I was brought to the cinema to see a new film. Unlike today, I knew absolutely nothing about what I was about to see. As one gets older, very few things surprise you on the silver screen. You become overpowered with the amount of previews and reviews and blogs and advertising spots to such an extent that you are never surprised by what you see in the cinema, and very often you have built up your own expectations to such an extent that the film can never live up to it. What made that film that I saw in the Forum Cinema in Glass Tool in South Dublin 
so exciting was that I had no expectations. I hadn't read the book or seen the trailer. That kind of experience is something that sadly I cannot relive again and I'm unlikely to experience again. The film I saw was Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. While I can't say when I first saw Point Break, it does succeed in capturing a moment in time on screen. It reeks of the early 90s like few movies, from the grunge inspired soundtrack, which is very much of its time, to the inclusion of Red Hot Chili Peppers frontman Anthony Kiedis on the cast list, among the many long haired surfer bros and stoners. It exists in a time before widespread mobile phone usage, with aged desktop computers and VHS tapes and two wave radios. In truth, this may be its strongest selling point, and perhaps gets to the heart of the reason this podcast exists. If you look back at 1991 now, it looks in many ways like a blessed time. The Cold War had ended, an even empire had fallen, and historians made ill-judged statements about the end of history. Significant climate change, political instability and other global crises were not considered major issues, or at least were not foremost in the minds of the public. So whenever you sit down and watch Point Break, remember that in this movie it's permanently 1991, and that's not a bad place to be. Pulp Dreams is written, presented and recorded by John Flynn in Dublin, Ireland. Our theme song is Stranger's Map of Texas by Michael Chapman and the Woodpiles, available under a Creative Commons license. Follow us on Twitter at Pulp Dreams Pod. That's at Pulp Dreams Pod.